0: with his own nicotine pouches. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR.
1: I had a war chest of about three and a half million dollars. Mark Martin is strapping into his troll. Based on what we had going on, I had enough money to do it for two years. Mark Martin from Beachville. Bill France Jr. gave me and Mark Martin an application to the 1988 Daytona 500. And not enough can be said for these guys that built this team from the ground up in two years. But if I didn't win a race, if I had, didn't show a Blue Sky to to potential sponsors that wanted to get on board, there was an end in, in sight to my uh, to my NASCAR career. The Motor
0: Racing Network presents. The Many Hats of Jack Roush. Mark Martin drives
1: up high out of turn number four, comes out of the corner, and every person in this grandstand is cheering him on. He comes down, and he will win the AC Delco 500. It has been a long, hard road for Mark Martin. I butted head, mean, I had butted heads with Jack Roush, but I butted head with Jack a lot early
0: in the years, but we made it. And we did it together. Jeff Burton wins at Daytona. He takes the 42nd Pepsi 400. Everything that I do in my racing and and
1: uh, you know when my son's racing and stuff, I always one of the decisions I'm making I always go through my mind. What would you know? What would Jack do?
0: Carl Edwards is a first-time winner in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. They did not hold one thing back for me. We gave it the best effort, and I think that's very noble. And I'm honored to be associated with him. From the Motor Racing Network studios in Concord, North Carolina. Here is your host, Woody Kane. Welcome to MRN Presents, The Many Hats of Jack Roush. In this 10-part series, we'll delve into the champion car owner's life and his impact on the sport of NASCAR. The year was 1942. On the radio, people are swinging to Glenn Miller's Chattanooga Choo Choo. Pardon me, boy. Is that the Chattanooga juju? The United States is in its first full year of World War II. FDR is the president.
1: I know that I speak for the American people. We are determined not only to win the war, but also to maintain the security. On the
0: silver screen, Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman are together in Casablanca. I'm
1: no good at being noble, but it doesn't take much to see that the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Someday you'll understand that. He's looking at you, kid.
0: And on April 19th in Covington, Kentucky, Jack Roush was born. Before the age of six, Roush was working on engines with his father.
1: My dad had a coal and ice business in the 40s, and when I was four or five years old. And he had 14 trucks and they would go 10,000 miles and every 10,000 miles you needed to take them apart and replace the rings and do a valve job on these old Ford and Chevrolet and General Motors trucks with uh, passenger car engines in them that weren't supposed to be run that long or that hard. So, 10,000 miles, they need to be overhauled. So, I had a chance to see engines, Dad would typically finish a run by 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He would jerk an engine, uh, heads off, and pound the pistons out uh, by by 536, go get a, uh, down the street to the house, to my mother's house, and uh, have supper, and come back and put it in, put it back together before midnight, so it wouldn't make the next uh, day's run. And I would uh, trail along behind him and get my hands dirty and my uh, clothes dirt greasier uh, than my mother wanted whenever I could get loose from the house and be with him when he was doing that.
0: Jack Roush's son, Jack Roush Jr., says his father's passion for engine building started with a lawn mowing business as a child. My dad's
2: parents were very entrepreneurial in their small town, and my dad, I think that inspired my dad to start his own business, and so he wanted to mow lawns. And in doing that, one of the things he had to uh, maintain was the engines. While he took the engines, uh, he, the family had a friend who had a engine shop in town. He would take his engines there and learn about engines from this friend, and that really sparked him to become intensely interested in engines. He got, you know, as he got older, he got into car engines, um, you know that. I really see that as kind of the core of everything that our company does.
1: Yeah, when I was 11 years old, we, we lived in the farm for a while, and then we lived back in a small community that supported the farming uh, regions around. And uh, when I was 11 years old, we were back in town, and I had a, uh, two lawnmowers, Rotary-type lawnmowers. I had an engine off a, a real type lawnmower, a s- stand-up engine. That I uh, BUILT A GO-KART WITH uh, LATER THE SAME YEAR, BUT WE STARTED CUTTING GRASS. MY BROTHER AND I DID. Uh, WE CUT UP TO 20 YARDS A WEEK uh, AND A uh, LITTLE HALF ACRE TO ACRE YARDS, uh, COUNTRY OF house ar- HOME YARDS. AND uh, I HAD TO TAKE THE, the ENGINES APART AND keep, KEEP THE VALVES GROUND ON THOSE AND KEEP the, THE POINTS ADJUSTED IN ORDER TO KEEP THEM RUNNING.
0: JACK Roush ATTENDED Berea COLLEGE IN THE EARLY 60'S. To pay for the education, he worked odd jobs for the college, which led him to buying his first Ford Mustang.
1: I went to school at Berea without paying the tuition. I had to pay room and board and I had to work for the college for a while, but uh, I fixed bicycles. I did, uh, did work in, uh, in college buildings, uh, bathrooms and things. I worked the food line, uh, the cafeteria line for a, a semester or two. And I did uh, the last uh, two years, I think, I worked in the uh, vice president's office doing all the reconciliation of the freight clerk bills. But I was married as a, as a sophomore, uh, in between my sophomore and junior year. And because of that, I was a town student, and then I could have a car, which otherwise you couldn't have. And I traded cars my senior year of four or five times for a, a car in a community that probably belonged to a teacher or a staff member of Brea, that had a hydraulic lifter problem or had a, uh, had an oil, oil burning problem and so I'd tr- trade them a car that I'd, I'd repaired and net a profit from it and, uh, and put them back in the car that didn't have a problem and take their car and fix it and move on. And I graduated from college for a place I had to work my way through. Without paying tuition, I, uh, I had enough money to buy myself a brand new Mustang.
0: After graduating from Berea College, Jack Roush made a series of decisions that laid the groundwork for a successful career in the automotive industry.
1: I had a, an interview with the Air Force who wanted me to ride in the back seat of an F-4 and be an ordnance officer, navigator, and I decided I'd go to work for Ford instead. That was the other interview I had, so I, I bought a Mustang, went to work for Ford. And within 30 days, I was working in the Ford assembly plant, working on the quality problems that the vendors were having with parts that were shipped in. I worked for Ford for five years, was uh, relegated to being a manufacturing guy. They wouldn't let me move to research. Uh, after my three years with Ford, uh, four years with Ford, I took a year off to get a master's degree at Eastern because I was told that's what I had to have to uh, to uh, work in research and development, I wanted to work on the catalytic converters, which were coming for emissions. I wanted to work on combustion uh, programs, certified uh, charge and and uh, ProCo, and uh, and of course turbocharging, supercharging, were on, and on in the in the wings as well. So I wanted to work on all that stuff, and they wanted me to build cars in a plant, and I I said I says no to that, and I went to work for Chrysler for a year, but I was conflicted when I went to work for Chrysler because. I was racing with, drag racing with a group of four guys, all four guys, ten of us. They had a nuclear physicist, a couple of lawyers, a, 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 a mar- marketing uh, public relations guy, a whole bevy of engineers. And uh, we, uh, we raced for five years as a, as a, as a recreational activity. But uh, the problem was that when I worked for Chrysler, I was racing with my Ford team against the guys that I was working with by day at, at the Chrysler uh, uh, Engineering Center. And so that, that kept me conflicted, and I, I only did that for one year, and I backed to hallway and said, well, Ford won't let me work research, and I don't like re- working for Chrysler because uh, I'm, I'm racing with the Ford guys. So I said, what I need to do is do my own business and do a Engineering uh, uh, type business that serves the automobile industry, and I can work on all those things on my own, and that's what I did.
0: In the early '70s, Ford Motor Company pulled out of motorsports altogether. Roush explained why.
1: Well, Ford took a hiatus from racing from the early '70s to the late '70s. They'd won Le Mans, they'd won drag racing, they'd won Indianapolis. They'd, they'd won every place that they'd been in motorsports. And there was all this uh, press, uh, governmental press coming for a fuel economy and for emissions reductions and all those things. And, uh, and the Ford family said they needed to be concentrate on things that were, that were relevant to their, to their core business. And motorsports wasn't core for them. So they backed away from racing in the early 80s. I'm sorry, the early 70s. By the late '70s, they figured out that anybody that wanted a town car, or a, a, a truck, or a bus, uh, a van was gonna was gonna go to a Ford dealer to look at what they had. But if they were performance-minded and uh, like most red-blooded young people were, they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't go see what Ford had because Ford didn't have anything to offer that would excite them.
0: Ford returned to motorsports in 1979 with a pace car for the Indianapolis 500.
1: So they decided that they were going to come back and. and participate in motorsports they had a new uh, Mustang called the F- Fox Platform Must- Mustang that was introduced in 79 so they decided that they were going to go to the Indianapolis 500 as a pace car uh, with a pace car first they contacted me and I was the vendor for the pace car and for the engine the p- responsible for the performance and all that and then they they put a, a group together called uh, SVO, Special Vehicle Operations, that they wanted to do a a, a, a turbocharged uh, four cylinder Mustang, and they wanted to do a parts catalog to sell muscle parts like they had in the '70s and the '60s, in the in the, uh, in the '60s and the '50s, and. Uh, Anyway, uh, I helped put the catalog together, I built the pace car.
0: In the early 80s, Roush started a road racing team in the Trans Am series and in the Emsa Camel GT series.
1: I started my own road race team in 84 and started winning uh, most of the races we went to. The first 10 years we raced in, in, uh, in road racing, we won over 50% of the races. We finished up with 15 years of involvement with winning 10, 24-hour races out of 24, winning 48% of the races we entered overall.
0: Jack Roush, Jr., who now races in the IMSA Continental Tire
2: Sports Car Challenge, remembers growing up watching his dad. From a very early age, you know, I'd be at the drag racing track, you know, watching what was going on, you know, at first not really understanding what was going on. But, uh, you know, through my whole childhood, I was able to see, you know, our road racing program start, eventually our NASCAR program start. Uh, it was also, uh, as a child, I started racing myself. Uh, there was a period where my dad wasn't drag racing. You know, he didn't have a drag racing team, and he hadn't yet started his road racing team. What he did have was a go-karting team, and I was, I was the driver, or one of the drivers, including my sister, and my dad actually drove for a little bit, too. But uh, yeah, it was pretty awesome. It's kind of funny. You know, I I look at my dad, you know, a lot of fans may of his may think, well, you know, if that's your dad, uh, maybe it wouldn't be such a big deal. But it is. I really look up to my dad uh, for a lot that he's done and, you know, kind of the principles that he has that has led to, you know, a lot of his success. In the late 80s, Ford
0: decided to increase their footprint in the sport of NASCAR and chose Jack Roush to spearhead the return. On next week's show, We'll hear how that came together and how Mark Martin became the face of Roush Racing. You know, he had a two year plan and he had the money, already had the money to run two years in commitment. You know, he's going to spend his own money to get it, to get it going. And I was like, okay, what are you going to do for testing? What are you going know, to, are you going to have enough tires? Are you going to do this? I know who your people are. You know, we talked about people and everything. When we got done, he said, "You know, he told me all that stuff, and he says I would like to, uh, I'd like to have you drive my car." And I says, "Well, I'll do it." And I stood up, and I shook his hand, and I got lightheaded, and almost—I I mean, I remember feeling lightheaded—and I left there, and I never, ever, never asked him what I was going to get paid, or if I was going to get paid. You'll hear more of that and much more on next week's show. Until then, I'm Woody Kane. Have a great week. Today's program was a presentation of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and Daytona Beach, Florida. The Many Hats of Jack Roush was written and produced by Rich Colbreth, Tyler Burnett, Alexa Henrian, and Brian Nelson. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network.